Years ago, I was in St. Louis at a boxing tournament, boxing matches. There was a bunch of elimination matches to see who would go into the Olympics. And as the fight was about to start, I was close enough where I could hear the referee say, okay, I want a clean fight. No low blows, no headbutting. And then he paused and looked him in the eye and he said, let's get it on. And the crowd erupted. The sound of the bell brought the boxers toe-to-toe in battle. Marital conflict is a lot like a boxing rink. (laughs) A lot like boxing. Husbands and wives step into the ring. They go toe-to-toe. They throw those verbal punches. They display fancy footwork. And they do all kinds of uh, skilled negotiation. Fights, arguments, spats, they're inevitable in marriage. There will be those times when the line is drawn in the sand. There will be those times when you're hugging one side of the mattress, your spouse is hugging the other side, and tears of anger are filling your eyes. At this point, headbutts and low blows, they're okay. You're okay with them then. During this series so far, I couldn't help but see the married couples kind of sitting there, arms around each other, maybe holding hands. I've gotten all kinds of of comments on this series being so good. We needed this so much. And uh, it's really neat to see couples at all ages in all different developments of marriage. But I know although you look so nice and kind and sweet on the surface, underneath your nice church clothes, you're sporting some boxing gear. (laughs) I know it's there. It's there with me too. It's a regular thing to enter the marital conflict ring. So here's a question. Would a professional boxer even entertain the thought of stepping into the ring with millions at stake and a title on the line without being trained or tuned, without a general knowledge of the rules governing boxing? Of course not. Yet countless of husbands and wives get married and deal with conflict without any training, without any working knowledge of the general rules that should govern conflict resolution. Well, let's change that. Let's do something about it. Today I want to share with you some ground rules, some guidelines to keep conflict resolved in your marriage. Notice I didn't say keep conflict out of your marriage. That's not going to happen, but to keep it resolved. The guidelines hold true in every relationship, but I'm going to talk about the context of husband and wife. Now, if you're not married, stats show (laughs) that 94% of you will get married at least once. There's a high percentage that you'll be married twice. So, you better listen up no matter who you are, right? Now, as I go through these guidelines and ground rules for conflict resolution, I do not want you to think for a second that I have a handle on all this thing. I'm a fellow struggler with all of you. Before I dive into these seven guidelines, I want you to think about something. Think about your last fight. Maybe it was a couple of weeks ago. Maybe it was a couple of days ago. Maybe it was on the way to church this morning. (laughs) 
What tactics did you use? How loud did you speak? What issues were being batted back and forth? Were there any low blows, any headbutts? So let's say you're in an argument, a conflict. Here's the first guideline. Assess the damage before you launch verbal missiles. Assess the damage that's going to happen before you launch that missile. It's so tempting to launch verbal missiles. We love those zingers, don't we? Marriage is a process of collecting intimate data. Our spouse shares with us those feelings, those struggles, and then we download them into our thinking. And here's what happens. In an argument, a conflict, when tempers are flaring, we feel like we're losing, so that's when we fire the verbal missile. Name-calling. We compare our spouse to the dog, or maybe the cat, maybe Osama bin Laden. (laughs) We label, we compare, we take this sensitive information that we've downloaded, and we use it against them. A well-placed verbal missile can mess up a lot of stuff in a marriage or any relationship. The crazy thing is, verbal missiles never work. They never work. I've had the opportunity to to talk to countless couples, and I have never heard anyone tell me, David, that zinger did it. That one-liner really worked. When I called her that name, when I compared him to nothing works. Doesn't work in that way. That's why the Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. Now, gentle doesn't mean you talk all sweetie and mushy and whiny. It's just the opposite of harshness. A harsh word stirs up anger. I read a study that basically said one verbal missile can take away 20 acts of kindness. A 1 to 20 ratio. Think about that. One verbal missile can tear apart 20 acts of kindness. That's pretty scary. Think about doing 20 nice things to your wife, to your husband. And then it just takes one little boo-boo and you've wiped those 20 clean. You know what, I I forgot to bring my prop up here. Darn it, my mouth is getting watery too. I I was going to bring a candy bar up and eat it and ask you to time me. So time my fake candy bar eating. Ready? On your mark, get set, go. Mmm, so good. Okay, stop. How many seconds? Go ahead, yell it out. Ten, ten seconds? Okay. Ten seconds. Amazing. Took me ten seconds to eat a candy bar full of fat and sugar and calories. But it will take, according to nutritionists, about 30 minutes of solid workout to take that off. Hmm. Kind of like verbal missiles. We can throw verbal missiles out in seconds. It just takes seconds to throw one out. But it takes so long to work that off. Notice that verbal missiles are usually high-pitched and loud. But a gentle answer turns away wrath. So assess that damage first before you launch a verbal missile. 
Second guideline, use good manners. From childhood, we're taught to use good manners. And isn't it sad that we're nicer and use better manners with with neighbors and acquaintances and friends than we do with our spouses? People say, I just couldn't control my temper. Really. Watch this clip and see if you can relate. Stop and shop, 250. ATM, 200. Hi, honey. Oh, hi, sweetie. What are you doing? Oh, just going over the bills that you're supposed to be paying that are late again. Like what bills? Well, you choose. How about the gas bill? Or maybe, that's right, the electric bill. All right, well, let's start with the electric bill. $187. And why? Because you have to have essential air on all the time. Well, you know I can't sleep when it's hot without the air on. What do you expect me to do? How do you expect me to pay for this? I don't know. You're the financial genius. Figure it out. And you're the provider. You figure it out. Look, if we didn't have the central air on all the time, every day... It needs to be cool in the house. Swim I don't want to swim. Look at me. I'm sweating. What do you want me to do? It's hot without the air on. It is good. It's Can you relate? I sure can. Terry and I have been in an argument when the phone rang before, and I was instantly transformed from this maniac arguing guy to a compassionate, sweet pastor. It was amazing. After hanging up the phone, I went right back into the argument. That's proof that we can control our tempers. We really can. Let's say you had a friend over for some coffee. And let's say you just put in hardwood floors in the, car, in the, in the, in the house. So uh, your neighbor comes over, you're having coffee, and, and the neighbor spills the coffee, drops the cup, it smashes all over the floor and all that stuff. What would you say to them? You idiot? You uncoordinated doofus? Do you know how much these floors cost me? No, we wouldn't say that. What would we say? We'd say, look, don't worry about it. It'll come up. Let me get you another cup of coffee. Hmm. Peter says this, be of one mind. Be courteous. The Bible says that when a man and a woman marry... They become one flesh. They're of one mind. They should be thinking along the same lines. They don't have to be clones of each other, but they should be moving in the same direction somewhere, come in the middle sometimes. Notice that the word courteous here has the word court in it. That's on purpose. When we're courteous toward our spouse, we're actually courting them. 
Are we using good manners? Are we being polite? I know that's a hard one, but we can work on it. Number three, stick to the point and stay in the present tense. When you're arguing, focus on the point, the issue at hand. It's so easy to drift, and if we're not careful, it can lead us into a tailspin that will be a huge crash. The husband walks into the kitchen. The wife asks for help because the kids have been driving her nuts. And here's how it starts. The husband says, you're always asking me to help. I'm tired. I'm stressed. Just got home from work. Do you realize the stress I'm under? You're always nagging me, just like your mother. The wife fires back. Don't bring my mother into this situation. How about you? You're so lazy. You're always on that couch channel surfing. Channel surfing? You just totally forget me. We haven't made love in six weeks. Made love, she says. Who would want to do that with you? You wear those same college gym shorts every night. You don't comb your hair and you have coffee breath. (laughs) The guy fires back. Do you see what I look like? There's women all over this place that would give their right arm to be married to me. I'm not going to take this anymore. I want another relationship. Sounds a little crazy, but I don't know. It just started with a household chore. The wife asked the husband for some help. From there, it spiraled into the tailspin. Communication problems all over the place. The in-laws were dragged in. Threats were made. Even sex and divorce were mentioned. We need to stick to the issue. If the issue is finances, have a solution-driven argument about finances. If it's sex, have a solution-driven argument about sex. But don't go from one subject to another and another and another. Also, stay in the present tense. Paul says that we should forget what is behind. Forget what is behind. When we bring up the past, we're doing something that God doesn't even do. We're actually doing something that the evil one does. Satan loves, and he's the master of bringing up the past. God can never use you at Cornerstone. Do you realize what you did two months ago, two years ago? Forget what lies behind. Then the verse goes on to say, and strain for what lies ahead. Do you know the future holds the only hope for making things better? The past doesn't hold that. You can't go back there. The future is the only hope for making things better. All right, here's number four. Don't go subterranean with conflict. A lot of issues come up. Big issues, small issues, medium issues. Many of us just bury them. We go subterranean with them. Maybe it's the style of conflict we grew up with. You know, maybe our family was the type, oh, everything's fine, no problem, everything's cool. You know, we never fight. There's a problem when it goes subterranean with any issue. All that toxic waste begins to leak into every venue of our lives. Toxic waste. Our marriage ends up being a toxic spill accident. Deal with issues rapidly. 
I love this verse. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's not saying anger is bad. It's saying take care of it quickly. For 28 years, Terry and I have worked on that verse. And it's been on and off. Okay? We don't get it right on this one all the time. But we do know that it can really help when we do things like pray together. You know, it's really hard to argue with each other when you're praying. (laughs) Have you ever tried that? Just start praying. It's, It's hard sometimes. You feel like you're not worthy to get in front of God when you're losing your temper with your spouse. But try it. There have been times when Terry and I stayed up all hours of the night, very late, trying to resolve an issue. There's been other times when we just went to bed mad. And you know what? On those nights, we probably got less sleep than if we just stayed up half the night and tried to resolve the issue. Husbands and wives, don't let conflict lie at the subterranean level. Deal with it. Because dealing with it will help flush out the toxic waste that's messing up so much of us. Fifth guideline, avoid psychobabble. Psychobabble. We read a few books, we take a few courses, we listen to Dr. Phil, and then we think we can psychoanalyze our spouse. You know how it goes, oh, you're being so codependent. You're such an enabler. You're the textbook classic case. Don't even go there. Don't try that. Here's a verse that we rarely apply to marriage because it's so convicting. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's or your spouse's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Jesus was actually using Hebrew humor right here. Just picture it. Here's a husband with a Georgia pine in his eye talking about his wife's speck on her contact lens. When I'm critical of Terry, and Terry's being critical of me, we're being critical of both of us because, remember, we're one now. We are one. When I shoot an arrow at her, I'm hitting our marriage. It's not... It's not a me thing, it's, it's us. It's not dissonance happening, it's harmony should be happening. Sadly, in our meistic world, we have a tough time with that. So, no psychobabble. The sixth guideline, listen without winding up. Boy, this is a hard one. A lot of us get ready to pounce instead of listening to what our spouse is saying. We're on the mound thinking about the next pitch. We can't wait to throw that fastball right at their head. Oftentimes, while they're still talking, we interrupt. That means we're not listening. When we listen, we should kind of list things mentally. What is the person saying? Once we have that list ready and there's a break when it's our turn, sometimes that can be a long time. But just wait and kind of feed that list back. Let the person know that they've been heard. They can either say, okay, you got what I said, or they can say, you misunderstood me. Let me say it again. Here's what wise King Solomon says. Answering before listening is both stupid and rude. It is. 
That's one thing that'll go with last week's message on communication. All right, here's number seven. The seventh guideline, make a U-turn. I don't mean the letter U, but Y-O-U turn. We need to make U-turns in marriage. We use the word you too much. You always. You never. You always waste money. You never talk to me. We should use I feel statements. I feel like we're really not communicating. I feel like we should try to save more money. It changes the whole dynamic of the conversation. Because feelings reveal who you are and what's going on in your life. It's kind of the beginning of real healing in any relationship. Paul wrote to the Galatians, share each other's troubles and problems, and in this way you obey the law of Christ. All the commandments, all the laws are about the way we get along with people and get along with God. We are to become relational problem solvers. And we can do that for friends, we can do that for family members, but definitely for our spouses. Okay, you had a difficult run at work. Let me share that with you. I understand you're feeling down because of something your dad said. Hey, let me share that troubled spot. It's a feeling deal, deal, not a you deal. It's a we deal. I remember one time, uh, Terry and I, we were just moving to, into Georgia. And uh, we didn't have a place to live, so we had to look for a house. And... Um, this professor that went to the church was going to go over to Europe and teach for five weeks, and uh, he let us use his house. Five weeks we had. So we looked at houses, and Terry did most of it, just almost five weeks. We were getting down to the wire, and we had to get something. And, and we were sitting in the car outside the, uh, the realtor's office, and we were in this argument about this one house. It was a really good deal financially, and we didn't have anything else, and it wasn't really the house we wanted. And, but, you know, I was arguing the case, of, well, we've got to get something. Let's just get it. And she goes, I don't want to just get anything. And we're going to be on that. And we were going back and forth. And finally, I can't even take credit for this. It just plopped in my head. I said, Terry, I'm not the enemy. And that just kind of stopped everything. I'm, not, I'm like, we're on the same team. We, we can share this together. And we cried and hugged and did all that stuff. And, and uh, it was amazing what that did. Just me not saying, you think this, and her saying, you think that. It just worked. It was an amazing time. Well, you know, I could really talk all day about conflict resolution. But it's a pipe dream to think that these issues will be resolved if we don't deal with another serious conflict that some of us may be having right now. We've been talking about conflict between two people, but some of us are in this unwinnable, unresolvable conflict, and it's the key to all conflict resolution. Some of you are in conflict with God. You have this uneasiness, this sick feeling in the pit of your stomach, knowing that one day you're going to have to stand before God and give an account of your behavior. The Bible says that all of us have made mistakes. All of us have missed 
missed this whole thing, this whole life, relationally and morally and spiritually. We have violated God's standards, and His standards are holiness, purity, perfection. But we've turned our back on Him. We've just gone our own way. So we end up with this unwinnable, unresolvable conflict with God. Well, here's what God did. Even though he was the violated party, God took the initiative in this conflict. He commissioned his only son to live a perfect life. No sin. And then he he had his son die on the cross for all of our mistakes. And he raised him again to life. And if we come to a point in our lives when we make a U-turn, now I'm using the letter U, and apply what God did for us through Christ, our sins are forgiven. The conflict is over, and we're reconciled to God through Christ. If you haven't taken that turn, it doesn't matter how good you are. If you haven't taken that U-turn, it doesn't matter how kind you are or how much money you've given to charity. You will fall miserably short of God's standard of perfection, sinlessness. You're still going to be in conflict with him. Conflict resolution starts with a step of faith saying, Jesus, I accept what you did for me. I accept your forgiveness. And I'll apply it to my life. I'll let you be the leader of my life. Your marriage not really going to work. Your life is not really going to work until you've taken that step. I'm not talking about religion. How many times you show up for church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. So have you taken that step? Have you made that choice? If you haven't, you need to talk to somebody about how to do that. Come talk to me. Call the office. Come with somebody you're here with today. Hey, maybe it's your spouse. Hmm. The moment we accept what Jesus did for us on the cross, the moment we receive him into our hearts, let me tell you what happens. And this is an awesome deal. If anyone is in Christ, that means you're in him, he's in you, you believe in him. You've done that decision. Then he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That is awesome. All of that's from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And watch, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the key. That's the key to conflict resolution. It's the ministry of reconciliation. If you don't have the ministry of reconciliation... I don't know. I think of me and Terry. If we didn't have that, we'd be in a rocky marriage now. I don't even know if we'd be married anymore. Terry and I have a great marriage. I love her more than I did 28 years ago. And one reason is we have the, the ministry of reconciliation. God gave that to us. Every time we have a conflict, we get to practice the ministry of reconciliation. Now, okay, all you theologians out there, I understand what the context of this verse is about. 
It's about evangelism. It's about helping people to reconcile with God. But the principle still works in our marriages, in our relationships. When Christ comes into our lives, he places the Holy Spirit inside of us. And then that Holy Spirit gives us the RPMs, the octane, the juice it takes in this ministry. You have been reconciled to God through Christ. Hmm. That's what the Spirit says to you, says to me. The Spirit says, you don't deserve it. You don't even deserve this. So reconcile with your spouse. If you didn't deserve it, they certainly do from you. That's what makes conflict resolution so awesome. If you don't have it, when conflict arises, you have the ministry of retaliation. The ministry of low blows and headbutts. And that's the reason that most marriages are failing right now. See how big the ministry of reconciliation is? When you have a conflict, you can take it to God. I challenge you, when you have kind of a relational sticking point, talk to God about it. Nine times out of ten, when I take something to God like this, I find out it's me that's the problem. God says, I'm going to change you, David. Shut up about Terry. Let's work on you. I pray for my wife every single day. You take problems to God and you pray for your spouse, you're in the ministry of reconciliation. Today, if you say that you're ready to get serious with God, it can all start to work. You can keep conflict resolved in your marriage if you just rely on him. But it's a choice that every single individual must make. Next week, next week I'm talking about intimacy because I truly believe that conflict resolution done in a biblical way opens the door to greater levels of intimacy. In fact, when Terry and I are in our times of making up, if you know what I mean, we sometimes think, you know what? may not be such a bad idea to get in another fight just so we can make up again. It can work. God can help us get better and better at this. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for reconciling us. We thank you for drawing us to yourself and keeping us, uh, keeping us married, keeping us in good relationship with you and with each other. Lord, would you, would you make us strong in this area? Would you make us knowledgeable? Would you help us, all of us, to, to learn those, those places that we shouldn't go and, and try the places that you led us to go? And we thank you for this, Lord. We thank you that we can work together. We can resolve conflict with the power of your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.